Coming up next on Abounding Grace. Be careful what you get involved in. Be careful who you get involved with because it could end your life. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Stay strong in Him. Let Him revive your heart. Don't get caught up with this, man, that, that you young or old, like Pastor Greg said, are we going through the motions, comfortable and complacent, consuming some brand of cultural churchianity that has little to do with the electrifying gospel of Jesus Christ? That could be why you've given up on people. It could be why you don't share the gospel anymore. It could be why you're not in the Word anymore. It could be why your prayer life, because you have forgotten the electrifying power of the gospel. This is amazing grace. Join us for the next half hour as we study through the Bible with Pastor Ed Taylor and learn of God's abounding grace. Today on Abounding Grace, we visit 2 Kings 23. And remember, King Josiah is on the throne and he's cleaning house, taking care of business. Revival is happening and excitement is returning. So we're using this as an opportunity to consider if revival is needed in our own lives. Just perhaps what God motivated Josiah to do is exactly what he's wanting you to do. So it's time to clean house. Josiah goes in, cleans out all the idolatry, all the altars, the false gods, the, the sick sexual sin that was happening, the tapestries, the, the, the tools and the, the idols that were used for sexual sin and perverted worship of false gods. And the work of God leads to repentance and repentance leads to change. That's where it happens, not the other way around. Change doesn't lead to repentance. Repentance leads to change. And if you have it backwards, you'll never, it'll never, you'll never come full circle. And we've studied this in depth in other places in, the, in our study through 1 Corinthians, but there's a tremendous difference between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. Worldly sorrow starts with me. Godly sorrow starts with God. That's the biggest change. It's not what I've lost. It's not what I have to deal with. It's not my consequences. That's worldly sorrow. And it leads to death, the Bible says. It leads to discouragement and despair. But godly sorrow thinks of the glory of God and the goodness of God and the broken fellowship with God and longs to be back. I was thinking today about Nathan. Nathan comes to David and tells him this cute little story and says, David, what? What, what should I do about this guy that, that took the lamb? And he says, what? Kill him. That wasn't even the consequence in the law to kill him. But David was dealing with the guilt of his own sin. Kill him! Kill him. And who knows how it all went down. But at just the right moment, David, his best friend and confidant, whether he said it softly, whether he said it loudly, whether he said it with tears streaming down his face, but somehow he had to say it, David, you are that man. Which birthed out Psalm 51 and birthed out a transformation in David. Although the consequences were painful, he was transformed by godly sorrow. Something being hypocrite, um, something being harsh, 
hypocritical, hypercritical, overzealous turns a person to God. But the Bible says, don't you realize how kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? This is a New Living, Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Don't you care? Can't you see how kind he has been in giving you time to turn from your sin? In the New King James, it says, don't you know that it's the goodness of God that leads to repentance? Some people think it's not goodness. Some, th some people think it's badness and it's criticism and it's condemnation. But God is good. Psalm 86 verse 5, for you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive, abundant in mercy to everyone that calls upon you. But you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion, gracious, long-suffering, Psalm 36, 7, how precious is your loving kindness, O God. Therefore, the children of men put their trust in the shadow of your wings. And it was the goodness of God and his patient love with the nation that motivated Josiah to clean house and take care of business. Notice verse 9. Nevertheless, the priests of the high places did not come up to the altar of the Lord in Jerusalem, but they ate unleavened bread among their brethren. Don't miss verse 9. I'm going to get back to it. Don't miss this. You know when there's good things happening in the Bible, and then the very next verse says, but or nevertheless, that's not a good thing. God's doing a work, cleaning house, idolatry being, nevertheless, there was a group of priests of the high places that didn't come. And instead, verse 10, he defiled Topheth, which is the valley of the Sinahinim, that no man might make his son. Um, speaking now of King Josiah now back, that he now goes, he defiles this false god so that nobody will sacrifice their kids to Molech anymore. He removes the horses that the kings of Judah had dedicated to the sun at the entrance of the house of the Lord by the cha chamber of Nathan Melech and the officer who was in the court and he burned the chariots of, of the sun with fire. The altars that were on the roof, the upper chamber of Ahaz, which the kings of Judah had made, the altars which Manasseh had made in the two courts of the house of the Lord, the king broke down pulverized there, threw their dust into the brook Kidron, verse 13. Then the king defiled the high places that were east of Jerusalem, which were on the south of the Mount of Corruption, which Solomon, king of Israel, had built for Ashtoreth and the abomination of the Sidonians, for Chemosh, the abomination of the Moites, for Milcom, the abomination of the people of Ammon. And he broke in pieces the sacred pillars and cut down the wooden images and filled their places with the bones of men. Moreover, verse 15, the altar that was at Bethel and the high place which Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel's sin, had made, both that altar and the high place he broke down, and he burned the high place and crushed it to powder, and he burned the wooden image. As Josiah turned, he saw the tombs that were on the mountain, and he sent and took the bones out of the tombs and burned them on the altar and defiled it according to the word of God, which the man of God proclaimed, who proclaimed these words. And he said, what gravestone is this that I see? And the men of city told him, it's a tomb of the man of God who came from Judah and proclaimed these things which you have done against the altar of Bethel. And he said, verse 18, well, let him alone. Let no one move his bones. So they let his bones alone and the bones of the prophet who came from Samaria. So Josiah took away all the shrines, high places that were in the cities of Samaria, which the kings of Israel had made to provoke the Lord to anger. And he did them according to all the deeds that he had done in Bethel. And he executed all the priests of the high places who were there, on the altars and burned men's bones on them and he returned to Jerusalem. This didn't happen overnight. This is a thorough cleansing at the leadership of Josiah. And nevertheless, so revival is happening, excitement is returning, and then there's in verse 9, nevertheless, not everyone came to revival. Not everyone came. Some refused. Some resisted. 
The false priests held on to their evil practices and continued to rebel against God. But it didn't stop Josiah. He'll deal with them in a moment. Uh, I'll set you aside and I'm going to continue what God has called me to do. And then he backpacks and he backtracks on it toward the end in verse 20. The ones that didn't show up a revival lost it all. What little false worship they were trying to keep, they ended up losing their lives over it. What little part they wanted to keep, they lost it all. And now Josiah standing strong is a powerful move. You know, kings like Josiah are both popular and unpopular. And when you take a stand for the things of God, you too will be both popular and unpopular. There will be people that resonate with you, people that say, yes, I'll follow you anywhere you'll go. And there'll be people that resist and say, I don't, that's not for me. And so what do you do? You continue doing what God's called you to do and trust the Lord with everyone else. Too often we get our eyes on people and not on the Lord. And we get our eyes on circumstances and not on the Lord. And we get our eyes on the difficulties and not on the Lord. And that immediately arrests our progress of what God has called us to do. And I love what Josiah does. He just keeps on keeping on. Nevertheless, they didn't show up. All right, give me a few verses. I'll deal with them in a moment. But right now I need to deal with the real issue. And the real issue is how idolatry has been rooted in Judah. And as far as I'm concerned, Josiah would say, I'm cleaning house, taking care of business, leaving no stone unturned. Notice for a moment before we move on to the rest of our chapter in verse 15. It says, moreover, the altar that was at Bethel and the high place which Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel sin, had made, both that altar and the high place he broke down and he burned the high place and crushed it to powder and burned the, woman, the, the wooden image. Now remember, Jeroboam built an altar in Bethel so that people would not go back to Jerusalem to worship. He wanted to keep them close. It's been a while, but check this out. Turn back to 1 Kings chapter 13. We haven't seen this in a while, but I want you to see this. Over 300 years, 300 years. Now, if you want to get the concept of 300 years, our country is not even 300 years old yet. 300 years is a long time. And 300 years earlier, before Josiah was even born, God spoke. What did he say? Notice 1 Kings chapter 13, verse 1. It says, And behold, a man of God went from Judah Bethel by the word of the Lord, and Jeroboam stood by the altar to burn incense. And then he cried out against the altar by the word of the Lord and said, O altar, O altar, thus says the Lord, Behold a child. What does your Bible say? Say it out loud. Behold a child, Josiah by name, shall be born to the house of David, and on you he shall sacrifice the priests of the high places who burn incense on you, and men's bones shall be burned on you. And so what happens in 2 Kings chapter 23? 1 Kings 13 verses 1 and 2 is fulfilled. 300 years. I put in some uh, old familiar music on the way drive back. Man, it's a, it's a dog of a drive from Lakewood to Aurora, man. Five o'clock in the afternoon, let me tell you. And then when it's dark and you miss a few turns, you know, you're all over the place. So I was, I was originally got in the car to come back to, the, to, to tonight, uh, left the radio off. I was just praying, meditating on some things and praying for some things. And, and then I started getting frustrated and driving. So I put some music on and an old Maranatha song, a song that I learned when I was a new believer. It has a special place in my heart. Uh, it, 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 it was encouraging me to wait, wait, wait on the Lord. 
And, and then in one of, the, one of the phrases, it spoke about the peace that comes from waiting on the Lord. And I was like, yeah, Lord, just that peace of it's going to be all right. Some things are on my mind, some things that I'm concerned about, some things that are outside of my control. It's just like, wait on the Lord. You're going to renew your strength when you wait on the Lord. And God, he wants you to know that it might take 300 years for a prophecy to be fulfilled. They might. Well, Ed, if it takes 300 years now, I won't be here. Oh, no, you'll be watching it from the mezzanine. You'll be able to know the, 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 the fulfillment of God's will because you'll be in the presence of the Lord. And by then, you will not question. In the presence of Jesus Christ, you will not question that God keeps his promises. It, you, won't even, you won't even have an ounce of doubt. You'll be able to enjoy it for what it is in the presence of the Lord. So it might take 300 years, but I'll tell you what. God will keep his promises. The prophecies of God are God's promises. And while there has been over the years great emphasis on us being promise keepers, I'd rather rely upon the promise giver. Because I don't know about you, but I don't always keep my promises. But God does. <laughs> so I try not to promise anything. <laughs> it's like, cross my heart, hope to die. No way. <laughs> I don't do that stuff. If my word isn't trusted, my, then I, I don't know. I need to improve my character. Because I need to, my word needs to be my word. I was talking about that with, uh, with our team this morning, just thinking about it, that, you know, last year uh, in, I made some commitments to teach in other places, and I made some mistakes uh, in making these commitments, so I was gone a little bit more than I normally am. But I, it put me in a dilemma. It put me in a dilemma, and I, I had a choice. I could either face you and ask for forgiveness as a congregation, or just talk about, hey, I made some mistakes, and so be patient with me. And, and just take it and just have to do it. Or I could call the people I made a commitment to and say, oh, no, I can't do it. You know, the tendency is, is that there would be folks that say, no, I'm not going to keep my word because I gave you my word. You, you asked me to come out and teach the men, I'll be there. You, you asked me to come out and teach a conference of, of pastors up in New England, I'll be there. And even some of the arrangements were just really brutal. It's not even on my wheelhouse, like no sleep and catching planes. And yet I put myself in that position. God allowed it. And God was testing me, I believe, looking back now with 2020, of would I keep my word? Because your yes, Jesus said, your yes needs to be a yes. Now, that's a little story for me, but you know what happens more, more often is like, hey, you know, guys will say, hey, I need help moving. And you'll say, oh, yeah, I'll help you move. And then on Saturday, you don't show up. Believers should show up. You said you'd be there. You know, you make a commitment to do something here at the church and it's, it's cleanup day. And maybe you didn't even make the commitment to us. You made it to the Lord. And so you never told us, so you never showed up. So we didn't know, but you knew. Your yes needs to be yes, not just with man, but with God. When, you, when God speaks to your heart, he says, you hear an announcement, you go, oh yeah, we need clean, you need help, whatever, whatever we're doing around, whatever announcement, whatever event, whatever outreach, and the Lord just speaks to you, you should do that. And then in your heart, you're kind of like, yeah, I'll do that. But then you give it a couple of days, and you go, no, nah, I don't want to do that. No, nah, you know, you know, call up and you say, hey, I'd, rather, I'd like to help. What can I do? Well, you know, we need an official overseer of the trash. Okay, I'll pray about it. Well, what are you calling for? God already spoke to you. So many times, for believers, the phrase, I'll pray about it, is Christianese for, there's no way in the world I'm going to do that. Now, maybe some would pray, and I hope you do. But the reality is, is God is developing character in you. He's making you the woman and the man that he wants you to be. And so important in our culture is to be reliable and trustworthy. 
that our yes is yes, that we're not deceitful, that we aren't, we aren't unreliable, that we're trustworthy and we're worthy of trust, that we're faithful and we're full of faith. What will turn the world around but God living in his people, manifesting the very presence in a dark world? God's promised word is sure. And even in 2 Kings, 300 years earlier, God said, Josiah is going to do this. And here he is, doing exactly what God said he would do. Verse 21. And the king commanded all the people, saying, Keep the Passover to the Lord your God, as it's written in the book of the covenant. Surely such a Passover has never been held since the day of the judges who judged Israel nor in the day of the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah. You know, Passover is such a great memorial of God's faithfulness in delivering the children of Israel from Egypt and, and passing over those that put the blood on their doorposts, remember, in the form of a cross. Celebrating the blood and the faithfulness of God and the blood that symbolized freedom and forgiveness. You haven't celebrated Passover since the day of the judges, but... Verse 23, in the 18th year of King Josiah, this Passover was held before the Lord in Jerusalem. Moreover, Josiah put away those who consulted mediums and spiritists, the household gods and idols, all the abominations that were seen in the land of Judah in Jerusalem, that he might perform the words of the law that were written in the book that Hilkiah the priest found in the house of the Lord. Now, this is, I have this highlighted, verse 25. Before him, there's no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart and all his soul with all his might, according to all the law of Moses, nor after him did any arise like him. I'd like to meet Josiah. I don't know how that's all going to go down. We often make fun of heaven, like we're going to be in line, you know, waiting for people. I don't know how it's all going to go down, but Josiah's on my list. And you, one verse says it all. No, no king like him. And there wasn't any king after him. Josiah's the real deal. <laughs> Nevertheless, the Lord did not turn, verse 26, from the fierceness of his great wrath and his anger which was aroused against Judah because of all the provocations with, with which Manasseh had provoked him. And the Lord said, I will also remove Judah from my side as I have removed Israel and will cast off the city of Jerusalem which I have chosen and the house of which I have said my name shall be there. It's been hundreds of years since the Passover was celebrated. So revival worship starts again and we get back to basics. Verse 28. Now the rest of the acts of Josiah and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? In his days, Pharaoh Necho, king of Egypt, went to the aid of the king of Assyria, to the river Euphrates. King Josiah went against him. Pharaoh Necho killed him at Megiddo, and he confronted him. Then his servants moved his body, verse 30, in a chariot from Megiddo, brought him to Jerusalem, and buried him in his own tomb. And the people of the land took Jehoahaz, the son of Josiah, appointed him, and made him king uh, in his father's place. Jehoahaz was 23 years old when he became king. He reigned three months in Jerusalem. His mom's name was Hamatul, the daughter of Jeremiah of Libna. And, verse 32, he did evil in the sight of the Lord and according to all that his fathers had done. Pharaoh Necho put him in prison at Riblah in the land of Hamath. He might not reign in Jerusalem. He imposed on the land a tribute of 100 talents, silver, a talent of gold. Pharaoh Necho made Eliakim, the son of Josiah, king in his place of his father, changed his name to Jehoiakim, Pharaoh took Jehoahaz and went to Egypt, and he died there. Verse 35. So Jehoiakim gave the silver and gold to Pharaoh, but he taxed the land to give money according to the commandment of Pharaoh. He exacted the silver and gold from the people of the land, from everyone according to his assessment, to give it to Pharaoh Necho. 
Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he became king. He reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zebudah, the daughter of Pedaiah of Rumah. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that his fathers had done. I say, one day there's going to be something written about your life and mine. And you're either going to be Josiah or one of those other kings. It's really what it amounts to. It's either going to go down like Josiah, man, there's nobody like them in your family. Nobody like them in your neighborhood. Nobody like, there wasn't someone like them before him and there wasn't anybody after him. Or you'll be like any of the other kings. Yep, that guy, that gal did evil in the sight of the Lord. Chose to follow kings beyond Josiah. Meddled in affairs they should have never meddled in. Got involved in things they never should have gotten involved in. You know, I think Josiah is a warning to us. He was a good godly king. We'll learn more in Second Chronicles about him. Yet he got involved in this Pharaoh Necho thing and he lost his life. And you know, the Bible teaches us to mind our own business. Did you know that? The Bible teaches you, mind your own business. And you say, Ed, where does it say that in the Bible? Well, I'm glad that you asked. Proverbs chapter 26, verse 17. He who passes by and meddles in a quarrel not his own is like one who takes a dog by his ears. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 3. Avoid fi- avoiding a fight is a mar- mark of honor, and only fools insist on arguing. And on and on, you could say, mind your own business. Live at peace. Take care of your own home. Make sure God's doing a work in you. Let him work in you so he can, might work through you. And he's got involved in something he shouldn't have got involved in, and he died. Josiah loses his life. And I just say the end of our time together is this. Be careful what you get involved in. Be careful who you get involved with because it could end your life. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Stay strong in him. Let him revive your heart. Don't get caught up with this. Man, that that you young or old, like Pastor Greg said, are we going through the motions, comfortable and complacent, consuming some brand of cultural churchianity that has little to do with the electrifying gospel of Jesus Christ? That could be why you've given up on people. It could be why you don't share the gospel anymore. It could be why you're not in the word anymore. It could be why your prayer life, because you have forgotten the electrifying power of the gospel. So much so that Paul had to write for us, inspired by the Holy Spirit, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe, the Jew first and also the Greek. It is the power of God. All we need to do is give it away. And that will be a little bit of what we'll be looking at in, pre, in next weekend studies and just allowing the Lord to stir up, revive, and bring back life where it's been lacking and build upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. That's what he wants you to build your life on. Build your life on the solid rock of Jesus Christ and not the shifting sands of this culture or this world or your own strength. That is Pastor Ed Taylor on Abounding Grace. His message, Look to the Lord While You Can, is part of a study in 2 Kings. Hear it again at AboundingGraceRadio.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, Pastor Ed, we turned the calendar today and voila, it's February. And with that comes a new resource to tell our listeners about. Larry, I love this book. It's one of my top 10 favorites. It's called Spiritual Leadership by Oswald Sanders, and it is a classic. It's, it's a resource that we have used in this church for the last 24 years. Uh, it's one of the first books I ever read 
as a new believer, probably the, one of the first five or six, I, I don't remember, but somebody put it into my hand and said, Ed, this will be good for you. And I'm like, all right, I'm in. And I've read it just about every year, probably not every single year, but just about every year since I was saved. And we want to pick it. It's the pick for our church. It's the pick for our radio broadcast. It'll help you understand a different nuance of going deeper in your commitment to serve. That really is it. It's a bunch of messages that Oswald Sanders gave to missionaries, but then were edited down so that they are more relevant, not just to the deep concern and commitment of missionary life, but the deep commitment to serving Jesus. So good, so important. I encourage you to pick it up, whether you get it from us and support the ministry or somewhere else. doesn't matter to me. Get it, read it, be encouraged in the Lord. Again, that's Spiritual Leadership by Oswald Sanders. Yours for a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. And please remember, it's through your support that we're able to present this radio program on stations all across the nation. Call 877-30-GRACE, and we can help you with the ordering details. Or go to our online store at calvaryco.store. We'll return to the Old Testament next time on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We'll see you then. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.